0: Hi, everybody. Will here with this week's interview chair. This week, this man knows needs no introduction. Michael Canalizo. Sit back, and you're going to be thoroughly inter- entertained. Trust me. Hi, everybody. Will Alexander here with the interview chair with This Man Needs No Introduction. Hello, Michael Canalizo. How are you? Well, I've been
1: awoken by the Canadian interviewer, so I guess <laughs> I'm fine.
0: Well, it was, it's the same time down there as it is up here. You know, I, that is true. Yeah. Well, so Before we get into the interview, let's talk about what's coming up. Um, the AKC event is coming up, so... That's
1: right. I'm the nuts and bolts guy behind it. I've been for a number of years, the event manager, part of the event management team between Royal Canaan and the American Kennel Club to do everything that puts the show together. And um, that's what we're in the midst of. We have another record-breaking entry in Orlando coming yeah. up. The all-breed shows have a 5,000-dog limit, and they're getting very close to it, and they don't even close till Wednesday. Wow, that's amazing. So be a super event again. I mean, it's really, it's something wonderful for the whole dog sport. We cover just about everything. We've added Fast Cat. We have Diving Dogs. We have Obedience. We have Rally. We have Juniors Competition in almost all of those elements. Uh, we have a week-long Judges Seminar thing, uh, which I know a lot of your your listeners in Canada take part in as part of their ongoing continuing ed. Um, it's just a great event. You know, lots of Social things and fundraising. Canine Health does a dinner. Um, the delegates meeting is there. I mean, it's really a it's a dog convention, and you know, it's the same sort of thing. If you build it, they'll come. That's right. This was a bit vi- the whole show itself. For those who don't realize it, was a vision of Ron Menackers in the early two thousands, and um, the delegate body supported it, and we, they created the only show the American Kennel Club puts on. And it's it's a show that Ron knew, and although they offered a best bred by competition in a u- unique way, any dog, as long as it was shown by its breeder own, not just from the bred by class, had the ability to be eligible for it. And it's become the Breeders' showcase. You know, it's um, there in the twenty years. I would say it's in the top four dog events in the world. And oh, no know, question. Yeah. We all know who the major ones are and they're all very unique and very important to the dog sport. And they all have their own little flair and
0: panache and, and attraction. And it's nice to be a part of it for sure. Well, it's definitely been an event that's well exactly the last 20 years has stayed on my calendar. So I look forward to it like all the other shows. Um what do you do you have a final entry number for us or no?
1: You're not the PR department, are you? No. <laughs> no. It's going to come out soon. It's another record-breaking <laughs> okay. entry. But we, we will let the PR department share. I mean, there are some exciting things. Um, every dog breeder has an entry, which is hard. I mean, probably, and you should love this because you're Canadian, um, we have an entry of eight Chinooks. Oh, wow. I mean, most people listening to this, May never have seen one in the flesh, but there's an entry of eight of them, and that's pretty amazing. Yeah, that'll be fun. Well, wow. yeah. So, um, uh, so I forgot what the original question was. <laughs> I was just asking about the event. That's happen a lot during this conversation, <laughs> and you, know, you better talk fast because an hour will go very fast in what I have in my head. Uh, all right.
0: Well, let's start then, Michael. Let's uh, tell me how, like you said, most people know, but I want the ones that don't know. Let's find out how you got started in this sport of dogs and how old you were when you got started. I guess you were a baby. Well, well,
1: I'm over 60 years involved. So um, I say in jest, but it's kind of absolutely accurate. I could be a poster child for those long-term participants in the sport. I was a child in a, a family s- household that got their first dog. And and it came from the Granger Kennel, which is, is my affiliation to this very day through very different um, iterations. But the story goes, my parents um, went to Sunny Shays to get a Afghan puppy. And um, my father and mother were looking at this group of puppies. And my father says to Sonny, how old is that? How much is that puppy? And she says, dearie, that's $100. And he says, um, looks around and says, well, how much is that puppy? Honey, that one's $150. And so Jim says, well, what's the difference between that one and this one? He She says, well, that one is a is a good family dog. And says, this one has show potential. And so Jim says, well, which one should I get? And without skipping a beat, she says, Deary, get the show dog. You'll see the world. Here I am. You know, I mean, and and most people that you would be interviewing start that way. And my brother and sister were involved. Um, you know, uh, they didn't stay involved in the showing aspect, but the wonderful dog owners a few of My sisters had three generations of of household Dalmatians, all purebred from top breeders on. My brothers had Yorkie, not Yorkies, Maltese and Shih Tzus, and uh, they all owned an Afghan at one point in their life. So, and then, you know, my parents bred five generations under their own Kandahara kennel name, um, did their thing. Lee went on to judge, my dad went on to judge, and I joined forces with Roger Reckler after Sonny died. Roger started with the grander dogs in the mid. What year? What, what year was that? that you you joined <laughs> um, Roger got his first dog in 1972 from Sonny, but it wasn't until '75 that he had one that he was going to show. And then Blue Shaw was born in '77. Um, I showed Blue Shaw for Roger and Sonny. Before Sonny died, but Sonny died showing him and Boy Blue as at under Sandy Schwartz in Greenwich in 1978, and that's when the decision was made: Do I leave the veterinary practice I was involved with, and show dogs exclusively for the Grand Kennel, which I did, and now I'm dealing with the third generation of Rogers family. His wife has a, an active interest in the dogs, you know, still campaigning and living with them to sleep on her bed. And his sons all owned dogs over the years um, with them. Uh, the three sons owned uh, Trist, who's the top winning hound of all time. Um, so it's everything I've done is involved around a family nucleus that had an interest and was successful breeders for all the right reasons. And that's what, you know, you want. I mean, they're a great... I turned a, prof, a profession, uh, you know, as a handler for exclusively for the Granger Kennels, but I never lost my breeder instincts. I was totally ingrained in the aspects of the breeding and conditioning and showing. And that's what you could understand it, but in the older days, and I hate to phrase it that way, but they were kennel managers. I managed 20, 30, 40 dogs. I mean, Sonny had more great kennels in the past who could afford it and had the room had more. And that's how you develop the line and And Roger and Sonny would represent grandeur as a quote, a pure strain within the breed. They didn't go out. They had enough dogs where they could find things. They went out when they had to. (laughs) And And a major thing that I speak about is the fact that the breeding program was established and founded on Lloyd Brackett's theory of breeding better dogs. And that brings you along to a very intense inbreeding program. And, you know, we followed the basics. You never breed anything without a perfect temperament. You, you know, these breeders don't understand sometimes the importance of a temperament. We don't care how good a structure or how beautiful it is, but if it doesn't have a sound temperament, it has zero value. And hard choices had to be made. If something crops up and, you know, you eliminate it from the breeding program, and, and then there's the, the type where if you want something, you may... Do a tight inbreeding, father daughter type thing. And you know, you take, you got your typical beautiful heads and you got your pretty short backs, but you know, you really needed big feet and you really wanted a little bit better shoulder. But the one with the big foot and the good shoulder had a bucket head and kind of a little long. Well, guess what? You had to know enough to keep that one, bring it back into the line. Whether you showed it or not wasn't important it was genetically, it had to contribute because you knew you were taking it back in the line closely. And the next generation was, you got to where your ultimate goal could have been. And if you didn't, you'd be out of business and you'd go find a different way. So we've been very fortunate and, you know, we were solid breeders and unfortunately tough breeders because at some point, and there's a story behind it. If You want me to go on in the early years. Sunny had Shere Khan of grandeur. And there was Sunny was a controversial person. She was colorful. She was entertaining. And but she was serious and she was a fabulous dog woman. But there were, you know, she wasn't a good housekeeper. We'll leave it at that. She wasn't good at paperwork. We'll leave it at that. But there was always a story behind Sunny. And if it wasn't a colorful personal one, it was like, oh, that's really not a Shere Khan Son. You know, Sunny's got three others that look just like him, blah, blah, blah. So Sonny, having heard these stories, goes to California in the '50s or maybe his early '60s then, and breeds two to three bitches right there in front of God and everyone with Surcon, and that established the Kaaba line, and that established a lot of bloodlines that you know down through the years went to you know, produce great coastwind dogs with that cross. And and so she was, and Shercon was was a public stud, and he held the record for the top producer for many years. But then somewhere, Sonny got disillusioned or disappointed that nobody ever came back. I mean, someone who was so impre- important for them to intensify a line and make it recognizable, they didn't bring daughters back to Shurkan. They didn't do a repeat breeding. They really, so she said, you know, they all went around circumvented to different Shere Khan sons of things. And she says, okay, they don't want them. We, we don't have to give it to them. So Roger was much firmer. We had Blue Shaw, and we had a, a couple really solid, um, tightly bred Granger dogs at the time. And we said, no stud services, no puppy sales. We just did it all on our own. We talked about doing a, a public stud towards the end of the, you know, when we saw a breeding, you know, uh, what do you call it? Due date, you know, end date on it. And we said, you know, let's do a dog that we make a public stud, but we're going to do a different spin. We're going to make them buy two stud services that they're entitled to repeat the breeding or breed back to a daughter. And that would make that dog the top producing sire and, you know, establish a consistent look. And then the more we thought about it, we thought, well, in five years, they'll dilute it and it won't be what we want. So we never really did do it. So, and that's kind of the way we were. I mean, I have, we have very strong um, theories on breeding and the interesting thing, and I talk about this a lot, Sonny didn't do it. I I didn't do frozen semen. I collected frozen semen from blue Shar on down, but I never did artificial inseminations we were kind of believers if they were healthy and they could be bred and then if they were if they needed a a c-section or got a pyometra we took them out of the breeding program there was no you didn't want you wanted healthy litters and healthy um, brood bitches but when i was on the road and the bitch came in season like when i was in spain for the world dog show in 82 and i had blue Shaw with me we did a a, a A frozen semen litter or something like that then um, and now we're doing not just us but a lot of breeders and i've it with an irish set of breeder recently we're doing what i call back breeding we're using 30 40 year old frozen semen and now because we can't do the line tight line breeding or inbreeding some countries by restriction outside of a personal choice or some people just don't have the the room to carry that many dogs to do it. And so I call it backbreeding because we're reintroducing great dogs from the past back into the pedigree. It's not the thoroughbred formula, but it it brings it back. I mean, Triumph was bred to the thoroughbred formula and and we inbred him to many of his daughters. And can so you now
0: can interrupt for a second. Can you explain the thoroughbred formula? Yeah, I mean,
1: I, sh- I, sh- I would recommend to any serious breeder listening to this, you can get it online, you can Google it. It's Lloyd Brackett's series of articles, The Art of Breeding Better Dogs. And the first step is to take a male, breed a male whose sire is the same as the bitch's maternal sire. So when we took a blue Shaw son, sharp of grandeur, whose Father was Blushar, who, by the way, his mother was, was a Blushar daughter. And we, that's a separate point. This was a little bit further into the intensification of the inbreeding. And we bred him to a bitch that was um, imported from Spain. Uh, not imported. Uh, a bitch who was sent to Spain to be bred to an old Turkmen dog, but whose mother was sired by Blushar. So T R. That's why he's T R. Tried everything was triple on blue sharp. Oh, uh, wow. and everything, you know. So that's that's the first step, and you you can convert it. It's he'll claim it's not as intense if you bred a bitch whose mother was sired by the dog you're breeding to's father's sire. You know something like that. But the thoroughbred formula is pretty self straightforward. Pat Trotter used it, um, and I'll, I'll give you a little a little story years ago. I tried to buy, you know, I won't even say I tried to buy this bulldog now. Cause that's the punchline years ago. I saw this pedigree in a bulldog magazine and I look at this pedigree. I said, Holy shit. That's a thoroughbred formula in bulldogs. I never heard of this in a, in a bulldog breed. And I look at the dog and that was the, the key, you know, dog that was bred through. And I, I send an email to, or a letter, whatever, to the woman who had the litter. And I said, I'm really interested how this litter turned out. I said, and then I explained my interest in the thoroughbred formula and Bulldogs. I had, that that point, I had owned and shown the Bulldog already. And she writes back, says, Michael, the dog you're asking about is a dog you tried to buy at the Jersey Specialty, you know, 10 year eight years ago or something like that. So... <laughs> I like this dog, and then he and he. uh, On top of that, he probably still could be the top-producing bulldog in the U.S. You know, he was that great a dog, and you you utilize it, and you know, interesting stuff that follows you around. But that's our dog world. There's lots of interesting stuff. Some we can talk about.
0: Some we can only (laughs) play after
1: 10 p.m.
0: Well, yeah, don't worry. This is like I'll go through this before we air it. <laughs> no, it's gonna be great. Because I, you, you, you went through the breeding with Roger and Sonny. I want to know about you showing the dogs now. So, um, the first dog you really campaigned for Roger was Blue Shave Grandeur. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you uh, guys decide on him as me. the first one?
1: All right, and here's how special this dog was. All right, I'll I'll go back to. The introduction to and what year Sonny. was this? I'm sorry, 78? Oh, uh, 1978. Uh, he was born in August of 77. So it was before that, it was late, late 77. So, Sonny, that dog was co bred with Priscilla Senor in, in Kansas. It was a boy blue litter, sighed by one of her dogs that went back to Turkmen. So, Sonny was already interested and she got puppies from it. Now, here's a Sunny story. Sonny went to pick up the litter. And the crate wouldn't fit in the back of the she was driving some big sedan with Oldsmobile or Cadillac, I don't know what. But Sunny had no alternative. So she split the crate in half and put all the puppies in the half and closed the trunk on them and drives up with these five black puppies squawking out of the back of the trunk of the car. No, they didn't know know they were puppies. So Raja at this point calls me and says, you know, well, well let me back up, because this you'll want to know. It was how I, how I got so close to Roger and the family. I was, Roger was with his second wife at the time at a specialty in Arizona, and I was out there with one of my mother's dogs that I owned, two of them, I think, at the time. And I didn't, had never met Roger, but I had heard about him. And he, his wife, a very nice young lady, showing this very gangly, short back, curring tailed puppy that's bouncing all over the place. Very typical, what we call monkey dog. And Roger's standing next to a group of people, and I could hear them criticizing. That's a grander dog. Oh, my God, look at this and look at that. And really, and Roger was listening to it. And I... I Many years later, through my relationship with Roger, I knew this was a tell. He was rubbing his cheek with his thumb, listening to this. And I um, I went over to him after the show or towards the end of the show, and I introduced myself to him. And um, I said, I I'm Roger, I'm Michael Candler. Oh, I know who you are. Sonny's told me a lot about you. And I said, well, good. I said, but I want you to know, I heard those people talking about your your puppy. I said, don't listen to them. They don't know the grandeur line like I do. And I said, that's very typical of what this a grandeur puppy looks like at that age. And this dog, give him time. It was, you know, just giving him a little support. And his answer to me was, oh, he says, well, he thanked me. And he says, Sonny just sold me a puppy. She says it's the best one she's ever got." And I looked him dead in the eye and I said, Roger, I don't know you, but I understand you're a man of pretty good wealth. I said, and if you're a wealthy guy, I have to assume you're a smart guy. I said, but I'm gonna tell you right now, all your money and all your knowledge can't beat Sonny at a game of selling a dog. I said, that woman has a great dog to sell the moment the dog food bill is due. I said, that's (laughs) all I'm gonna say. And he doesn't say anything, he's calm. And about three weeks later, I get a phone call from Sonny. Hey, kid, I don't know what you said to my guy, Roger, but he's having a Christmas party and he's insisting that you and you can bring your parents to be there. And I said, Sonny, I can't go. I said, I'm teaching a rotation in in the University of Pennsylvania. And it's the final for the radiographic technique um, course. And so she says, you got to be there. I'll send a car for you. I'll do this. I'll do that. And so as it was, I was able to go. And that started it. And so when now the puppies come and Roger had called Sonny, uh, called me to come see the puppies the day they arrived. And Sonny, Roger tells me this later, I'm walking down the stairs first to go into the kennel and Sonny's yanking on Roger's arm. If he doesn't like these puppies, everybody's going to know about it. He'll tell everybody you never should have invited him, (laughs) you know. Well, anyhow, that was the Blue Shaw's litter, and Blue Shaw was fabulous, and we knew it right from the get-go. So I was hired to show Blue Shaw for Roger and Sonny um, before Sonny's untimely death. Um, and my first time I showed Blue Shaw was under Ramona Van Court. In those days it was over a hundred Afghans. He wins the six to nine puppy dog class. Sandina Spellbound with Glovina wins the Bread by class. And as I I like to say it, it was the first lesson in freestanding that was recognized around the world. Ramona called the puppy out and called Eben out and says, let these two just stand on their own. And it was, i got my hair stands up on my arms. I remember it clear as a day. And Spellbound won the breed and I went reserve. And Spe- Spellbound won Winner's Dog and then on to Best of Breed. And in those days, you know, people can say what they want about the sport. And Lovina was terribly worried that um, the group judge was Vance Evans, who had a heavy hand on a dog. He was well known to do it. And Lovina was worried because they dropped his crate coming off the plane and he was a little unsteady and he was so sunny, went over to Vance, who she knew, and she said, look, Vance, you got a good Afghan coming in the ring. He says, you don't press on this. He's a young dog. He's not a special yet. And Vance gave him second in the group. And thanks to Sonny. Um, and, you know, that's, that's what you do, you know, and a little sidebar, Roger and Sonny tried to buy Evan from Glovina. They really liked the dog that much. He was that kind of a houndy, you know, upright dog. And it didn't happen, you know, <laughs> but on the same term, Glovina's first dog she ever bought was a grander dog from Sonny. You know, most people didn't know that either. And that one didn't and that one didn't turn out, but the food bill was paid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now you want to know about the early dogs. So it was Blue Shaw. <laughs> and he I won my first best in show ever on uh with under a Barbara Worcester Keenan, a great opinion, a totally unknown out of I think it was her first best in show assignment. Wow. And, you know, and a lot of first people will say to me. Which dog of the grandeur dogs is the most important one or that you like the best of this? You know, and everybody had favorites. Trist was the consummate, you know, show dog, you know, ambassador of the breed. Every, she loved everything. And she had a rough start in the beginning, which is a whole other story. But um, that was a testament to the grandeur temperament. My mother loved T.R. the best. If you ask Lee, she said T.R. because he was the kind of dog that you'd look at and you didn't know if this dog was 40 years too early or 40 years too late. But he was an important dog. Novices would look at him and get a thrill. Old timers would reminisce about how it would look. You know, he was a very Shirkani type of dog with that electricity, with a little bit more angles and a little bit more power and bigger feet and, you know, different things like that. But I always gave Blue Shaw the credit. I mean, he was impeccably bred. He was the—he uh, was just a gorgeous, gorgeous, well-made dog. He was upsized. size. I mean, and I was up against Kabixa Challenger, another wonderful Afghan. Um, called his name, call name was Pepsi, and but Blue Shaw was black, and Pepsi was a nice flashy black and tan. And not to be disrespectful, because I had a lot of regard for Pepsi and and Chris and how they. As breeders were successful. But somebody once said to me years later, you know, if Blue Char was a black and tan Pepsi, would just be another soft drink, you know, meaning that, you know, the color wasn't a favorable color. And obviously that's changed. Um, and uh, in, in respect, you know, you campaigned hard and heavy. And I think it was a, a kinder and gentler nation time back then campaigning that level. And from Blue Char, I went to, uh, I finished many dogs and won a lot of specialties when we were doing some important breedings, and Trist's mother was a product of blue shaw bread to a beautiful bitch that came from my mother's line. And we repeated that breeding three or four times. So, and, you know, Trist, Trist was one of four, four black bitches in her litter, and they all had to begin with TR, and we called them the slut sisters. They were all black. And their names was Trist, Trollope, Tramp, and Trixie.
0: So you know, those are the four
1: Slut sisters. You know, you, know, you had to keep entertaining yourself in, in in the kennel. And they all finished. Um, and two of them I I almost put higher than Trist in certain elements of confirmation that we liked and we bred from. But Trist, as I said, had that winning attitude. I mean, she caught some sort of pavo or respiratory thing at the show in philadelphia and and she was rushed from the bench show to luckily josephine dubler was had her hospital right there university pennsylvania josephine told me joel fisher um took her to the vet for us while i was still showing dogs i show him tr and um she said mike you." You probably should put her down. It doesn't look like she's gonna make it. And we say, give her one more day. And every day she got stronger and stronger. And most people don't realize that Trist was never good about having her bite shown. She would I mean not bad, but she just like fuss about it because she was pilled so much as a puppy and all this stuff. And I could never show her on a lead with any tension. I mean, she was, if you watch me show her, I pulled the lead down onto her withers and gave her a little tug. But if, you know, these people that grab the neck and they double lead them things, I, I go crazy. I don't like it in my ring as a judge. I think it, it it takes away from the natural carriage. And it's not just Afghans. And Bassets, I tell them, give them their head. And, you know, I want to see that head go forward. And sporting breeds, you know, sporting breeds, they don't have to have that head thrown back. They're supposed to get the scent coming in and I'll be doing a sporting breed. And I say, bring that head down. You know, I want that nose to be, you know, level to get it, not up in the air, like, like an Afghan. So, you know, these are quirky things about me, but, and it just progressed like that, you know, Um, you know, and, and Trist was special because we ended her career after over a hundred best in shows. And I had another dog um, and his name was uh, Carlos named after Carlos de Bango. Um, and it was, uh, too good to be true of grandeur was his name. And the reason his name was that was because he was a black mass silver, the most beautiful blonde. And over the years, because of the inbreeding, that color was not prominent. Black and brindle became our prominent colors. So, um he he was out playing and he got whacked and or hit a tree or something in the paddock and long story short he wound up with lung lobe torsion somewhere and he survived it and and you know he had produced a couple champions but i couldn't make it predictable to take him on the road flying Mm -hmm. and and all the stuff that um so we had rings true another uh, a double TR daughter that was very successful. And she went on to win lots of best in shows. She was the youngest Afghan to win a best in show at the time. And, um, then th- we decided, you know, when Carlos didn't pan out, let's bring Trist back out. Trist came out and won 53 more best in shows at nine years of age in full coat. She had two litters in, in between, um, you know, and that's something in Afghans you just could never do. Um, so that was that was her success there. And and then, we, you know, um, then I was getting close to wanting to stop. And a couple of years ago, the last grander dog was like 12 years old, and Evelyn wanted another Afghan. We said, you know, let's do a breeding. And the Vicaros were, they got their first dog in the early 70s from Sunny, too. And um, they had a good litter and it was down from a dog I was particularly fond of that I put up at the world show. And we leased this bitch and co-bred it with the, the Vaqueros and we had the litter of eight dogs finished and, you know, lots of major winners, but best in shows and specialties and a number of them. So that brings us up to the current time. You know, we still have dogs in the house, you know, and um, you know, if we, we, we know at our age now, you know, now we're faced with the dilemma, you know, are these bitches ready to be bred and should we? And do we want another litter? You know, I'm 70 years old now. You know, those dogs lived, you know, sister lived to be 21, wow. you know, so.
0: Okay, next question. <laughs> well, we talked about the breeder, Michael, and somewhat of the handler, Michael. Judging. when When did you start judging? Started
1: judging in 2000 and um, I had two groups by 2005, and uh, then I stepped away and went to be an AKC rep for a couple of years, and then I, after that, um, while I was still a rep, I, I segued into the, the position of AKC event management, which was essentially putting on the dog show with Royal Kane, at that time, Yukonuba. Yeah. So you can, yeah. and you know, and, and that show itself, um, you know, brought in the world challenge, made the breeder highlight, you know, the whole thing. You know, that's another question. But I started judging in 2000, um, then came back to judging in 2016, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I went from 2005 to 2016. Working the whole for time this. between you were an AKC rep or? You well, you don't, you don't you know it's a, it's it's not a an important factor so you don't lose your rep status per se. They'd roll me out for when someone was sick or someone had to take you on a vacation um or they needed extra coverage you know uh, over the years um I wasn't an active rep I was a, but I had all the training and and so I was able to perform the 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 functions I mean all of them Tim Thomas was a rep Dennis Sprung was a rep and he could still be considered he you know he's aware of all the rules and such as um as he progressed in his position with the Kennel Club so um it served me well it served me well in 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 understanding and and running a good ring. I had great friends and dogs and, and Steve Shaw and mentors. And, you know, we lived, you lived it too. You had an Annie. You had a Virginia line that was one you'd follow. I mean, I remember when I started to judge, they'd say, go sit by Steve Shaw's ring. Watch how he does it. My mother would say, don't be as mean as him. You know, my mother was my mother was a great judge with a wonderful attitude. She was light, but she was serious, and she could you know I, I'm convinced if you keep your breeder instincts when you judge, you can never go wrong. I mean, if something bothers you and you're in an Irish setter and type, you know confirmation, conditioning, it's going to bother me in Afghans. and you if you're judging an Afghan and you know that would bother you and your breed, you need to weigh that against the decision here. You know, I mean, too many times people get sucked into a winning performance. Right. And at right. some point, and it's usually seven dogs in the end, that can weigh on a decision. But we, our responsibility is to judge according to how a breed can progress as breeding stock. And if you know that, you know, a high tail set, and we all know tail sets are difficult to get rid of in a line. If you know a high tail set... Is on this dog, and and it's there are other things on another dog that may not like, but you it doesn't have a high tail set, and this is a Steve Shawism. If you see something you don't like, don't point to it. You see something you don't see enough of, point to it. You know, and 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 all of us can put up a dog with a flaw that we know it's winning in spite of it, not because of it you know, but the other things carry it. And I never let a performance at the breed level take out a great uh, example. I mean, I can, I'll tell them, you know, someone come up, well, my dog showed so much better. And I, I want to say to him, it can show better, that dog can show better or worse on a given day, but your dog will be ugly forever. <laughs> I don't say that. I just no. say that dog will be beautiful forever. You know, and they don't get, and I, I understand it. It is a dog show. And And Sandy Schwartz, and a keen competitor of mine, but also a very talented judge, he would say, you damn well better know how to make the dog you think is best look good enough to win. And if it wasn't a great up and back dog, don't move them up and back to make a decision. Keep them in a circle. You know, walk down the line, and this is an Annie Clark thing. She didn't touch the things that we all see we didn't like. She didn't pound on a high wither. She didn't, you know, pound on a, 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 a sagging top line. She'd hold the beautiful head. She'd touch the gorgeous tail. She, you know, things like that. Um, I carry a little bit of all of those kind of people. And I tell them, I mean, Janie would feel an Afghan of mine in April, or you know, March or April. And if it was soft, she'd say, tough winter, huh? Bring this one back after he's been running around. So to me, conditioning is important. I can't feel an Irish setter or a pointer or something. And if it's mush, bring it back. It may be beautiful, but that's not, that dog, you you know, we have to try and look at a dog, uh, although it's on a slippery floor or on carpet or in a small ring, you have to look at it and say, could this dog do what it's bred to do? And there are signs. I mean, when I free stack a dog and I see the, the nose flare on a sporting breed, or I see the, the Afghan hound, you know, looking out way past whatever we're looking at into another level, looking for something to catch. Or, you know, I, I just recently said the same thing in another interview about a Doberman. I want that Doberman to look at me and say, I'm watching you. I'll, I, I'm standing here. And I look imposing and I look like an aristocrat and you can touch me, but I'm watching you. And, you know, a judge has to understand a breed's function and has to respect this, these things. You can't do a herding breed and not understand that, you know, they know 300 feet away, 100 feet away, 50 feet away, you're worrying about them. You know and and you have to put it in your head and and develop a confidence the same level of confidence that dork has and there are quirky things that i try to tell new judges when you're doing taverns or or malinois or even afghan hounds or the sight hounds you need to walk that line first they need to get a sense of you um and then they you know they realize that their own is calm and you're calm and and, you know, I look at a dog whose eyes start rolling at me as I'm walking down the line. I just say to the owner, he's got 30 seconds to learn to like me. And they understand that, you know, they better relax. And it's funny, a, a breed like the Azawakh, which is one of the breeds that are never meant to be manhandled or, you know, pet bald as I call it. You can see most all of it on, you know, the standard does call for full dentition in a certain st- st- Gyrated muscle that has to be in skin that you want to feel. But in Europe, I put my hand on the, the arm of the handler and I tap it and I say, Madam, I know this breed and I'm, my hand's just going to leave yours and go right down onto your dog. Can't do that in the U S they'll scream some sort of, you right. Know, he touched me. you know. Uh, so, but a, a walk down the line is good. And, 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 I'll give credit to a, a Canadian judge who taught me once. Um, you have a dog that doesn't isn't comfortable with a frontal approach. You're they're never going to be comfortable with a frontal approach. I tell the the handler, steady this dog. I don't care how he's stacked. Turn his head to the front and hold on to it and do not let that head move. I'm coming up from the right side of the rear, and I walk wide around. And once you get the dog on the wither. And your hand's on him, they concede. And you just run your hand down and maybe get to the testicles. This dog isn't winning, but you're giving him confidence. And sometimes a dog like that, if it's truly the best one there, is your heartbreak in judging. This dog is really the best one in there. I'll walk down that line and I'll touch him again, and he's better. And by the third time I walk down and touch again, this dog is comfortable enough with me where he can probably – receive a higher award rather than being excused. And it comes from, you know, whatever. You know, dogs can react. Smart dogs react. A dog jumps at a flapping tent that snaps, that dog is smart. Dog jumps over the tape as a sighthound, I give them extra credit. That's a sighthound. He thinks there's something in the ground that he shouldn't touch, he jumps it. You know, others say, oh, he broke his gate. Well no, that's bull. You know, you don't understand what this dog is bred to do. You can't bring a sighthound running them towards the baby gates in a, in a ring. They're going to go. You can't make that evaluation. I do a sh- up and back and I use a shorter mat. And there's two reasons. One, I don't want them to gather a lot of speed because a sighthound will stop and, and start to pull back. Two, if you don't think I can tell your dog sound in f- four or five steps then you shouldn't be spending 25 bucks to show to me. You know, I can tell a sound dog in, in in a few steps, but the side gate to a hound is going to tell you more. It's going to show you length of neck, length of back, length of legs, you know, proper carriage, you know, and that's where you, you want to make your final decision. All right, I need a drink.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was good, Michael.
1: <laughs> okay, so that's my, and, and, it's pretty well known in circles. Now I run a different ring. Um, and I'm not shy. There's a method to my madness (laughs) and those would stop it. (laughs) There were those that understand it and realize the value to it. There were friends of mine that said, Michael, I don't know if it wasn't you, every rep would be writing you up and I get a little testy and I like, you know, Every dog is examined. Every dog is moved individually. And I said, first rep that writes me up, I quit judging. And I'm, their name is going to be the first sentence of the res- resignation letter. I said, you can't do that. There's a there's a reason for it. And not every, you know, there's a, you know, it's not worth explaining this, but if you haven't shown to me, you better come watch my ring before you get into it if you want to be prepared. I don't hold it against an exhibitor for being like, what? You know, but it's my ring. It, I'm doing comfortable. And and then I, if I have time, I usually tell them the, the great Annie Clark pattern where she'd do a major entry and she'd start sorting her dogs and she'd put her males in a certain order and then she'd put her bitches in a certain order and the poor schmo at the front thinks he's winning this wherein in fact, Annie would get her best males to the end of the mail line and her best bitches to the front of the bitch line And make the comparisons this way instead of looking all the way here, then looking all the way there. So the dogs in the middle were the key dogs, you know, and it was her way. She did it, you know. Ellsworth Gamble, another one who's living somewhere in my body, he made freestanding an art form. He, you, you, you showed it. Did you ever show to Ellsworth Gamble? Yeah,
0: I was young, but yes.
1: You'd go down and he'd say, stop. And you'd see he'd see your rear. Turn left and stop. He'd see your side. Turn left again and stop. He'd see your front. Come back. Can you imagine doing that in this day and age? (laughs) And that's how and, and another piece of Ellsworth, which to me goes back to how you have to judge as a breeder. Ellsworth was famous, and you may replay watching him, Judge, putting up puppies. And a lot of times it was a puppy bitch for even to be more intricate. And I said to him one time, Ellsworth, why is it always a puppy that you gravitate to? And he says, Michael, when I find a puppy of that high level of quality for that age and appropriateness, he says, and maybe the father and mother is in the ring as well. As a breeder, when you find quality in the youngest lot, that's the closest to the end to move a breed forward in a positive way. So there's a, a reason to. it, And you can't do it capriciously. If you have a good young dog and you have a couple good, wonderful specials, you move them together and the puppies at the end of the four males, say. And then you take that puppy and put him to the front of the line. Say, let's see these go again. That puppy isn't ready. He will be worried about things behind him. He will lose focus. And he, You know, he's not ready, but if that damn puppy holds the shape of the breed, has the confidence of the breed, has the showmanship of the moment, he deserves to win. And if he doesn't win, at least everybody sees you considered a good puppy. And if he wins, five years later or three years later, you'll judge a dog and someone will say to you, you know, this is a puppy you put up at six months of age somewhere. You know, so, you know, those are small little rewards and I am going to step back to a breed of thing cuz one you're Canadian and and so many great Canadian judges have contributed a lot um, and and I'm sure my sister and as of Pam Bruce as everybody knows is like family to me she's had benefit of these sort of great little things from the association i don't know if it's Bill or is Nigel i have a feeling it was Bill because it didn't involve any four letter words um He'd say to you, <laughs> yeah, so you, you knew Nigel too. Uh, he'd say to you, if you want to become a good breeder, you buy a male from an excellent breeder and you buy a bitch from another excellent breeder that don't talk to each other. And let me tell you, that's exactly how it, every major kennel practically in the last 50 years was founded. You know, I mean, and if you go back in your own pedigrees, like, oh my God, did Ted... Ted Edwards never talked to this one and Iris said, and he bred to that dog and look what the hell he got. You know, I mean, it's, it's funny, but you know, and you it also is. have to step out of your own breed. More people, you know, people say to me, how'd you learn so much about these different breeds? I was fortunate to have one or two dogs at a show. I mean, they call it, oh, here comes Michael with his strung. You know what a strung is? <laughs> a string of one. They'd call it, a <laughs> yeah.
0: you
1: know, they'd, they'd like clear the way here comes Michael with his strung and my assistant, you know, I mean, I was, uh, I was very fortunate in that regard, but at a show, say I was on the Raleigh circuit, I had four or five days, I'd look for any breed. I didn't care if it was Yorkies or great Danes or shepherds that didn't conflict with my judging schedule that had a decent entry. And I'd sit for four days and watch different people judge that same breed four days in a row. And I can tell you this, the judges that if in my eye, if I, what I gravitated to, they found to reward were usually good judges of my breed and vice versa. If I found, saw something and it was third out of three, that judge, you normally wasn't a good judge of my breed. And, you know that was how I learned. And then, you know, I'd spend a lot of time, It's and it's unfortunate, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying it's a kennel club thing, because I think the kennel club supports the breeders in the judging community very, very well. But the fancy has made it uncomfortable for judges to be in the grooming area, looking at a litter of puppies, hanging over an X-pen, talk, you know, they've taken that away from us. I mean, most of the, in the 60s and 70s, in the eighties, you know, I helped lead break Lacey with Mike Kemp. You know, he'd let me take her on the lead. It says she wasn't even six months old yet. You know, you saw litters of puppies and you say, what can you do? You know, what do you think? I mean, every one of my great dogs has honorary godparents. I could pick them out of a litter of eight, you know, from not from my own breed. And those are the dogs that I call had universal qualities. And those are the ones that, you know, established and hopefully were good producers. So the the breeding aspect has to come forward. And it's a shame, you know, you Canadians many years ago sent out a directive, you can't converse with exhibitors, you know, and they were watching for it. That's terrible. I mean, I have lots to say to exhibitors, but it's not about individual dogs per se. It's about something special about that dog or or the breed. And it's, you know, we do the best we can, but um, I think the dogs, the breeders make the best judges. I mean, you look at Dee Hutchinson, who I'm sure you held in high regard. You know, there were some great breeders like her. You know, Pat Trotter has a strong opinion that most respected, that all were single breed judges. And then you get the kind that were not big breeders, but were blessed with a wonderful eye. You know, and, you know, Dorothy Nichols, uh, Don Buchsbaum was not a significant breeder. He didn't breed, but he owned some good stud dogs and Dorothy didn't have a lot of breeding behind her. But these people could find good dogs and and people. I'll share a, a statistics. You may know, but now your audience will know. 80% of all the shows that are judged are judged by 20% of the same people. That's a huge and it hasn't changed in 50, 60 years. And that just shows you that the fancy speaks. They will show to the ones they want. And now it's a whole nother dynamic with internet and Facebook and live streaming and all of this. You're, you're a relatively new judge. And you're going to judge a breed that maybe is not close to your heart, but you, 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 you know it. And you're going to do what you do. And three or four shows later... All of a sudden, you're going to have that dog you gave two points, two and one that you gave a reserve to, and you're going to see two or three that don't look anything like it. Those breeders sat back and said, oh, that Mr. Alexander, he's worked with the right dogs from what he had. We should show to him. And if you don't find it, then they evaporate. They just say he doesn't get our breed. He doesn't understand it. And so your test doesn't come from the beginning. It comes from the middle. And there's a reason why when i do german shepherds or i do golden retrievers i'll have five or six dogs on my day that aren't entered the rest of the weekend people now know money's too short you know travel's too expensive you know they're gonna go and then another quirky thing that this whole internet movement did i can go up to a friday show in west virginia and i had 21 tibetan spaniels i'm like what are you all doing and what? They say, we we have a little page in our breed. We put up who's judging which weekend. We all say, we want to go to that weekend. We have three good opinions and they will make it concerted effort to go there.
0: That's and, smart. Yeah.
1: and it's smart, exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, in the old days, it was like you showed to every new judge three days. You didn't know what they did for three months until the Gazette came out with the results or if you had a rich friend that would call you or they paid for an ad. You know, now it's different. Now, you know, the minute you point. And by the way, sometimes when you point, the second your finger gets back to your body, you realize you made a mistake. It should have gone the other way. And that's okay. That was a Jane Forsyth. She called them her do-overs. And every judge can have a do-over. You may not like it. And I'm, I'm very quick to admit it when I see something. But you can't stand there and not make a conscious decision and have to live with it. You know, and, and it's usually a minor thing, you know, but and watching Dobermans, you had the greatest talent in Gwen DeMelta and every class, an honest, straightforward, obvious winner. Now she has to handle a four of those class winners to come into winners. And you look back and like, what the hell did I just do? <laughs> you know, <laughs> else. <laughs> they don't look like what they look like. And if you just walk up to see winners, like, oh, my God, this kid knows nothing about dopamine. Look at these horrible dogs. Well, guess what? They look perfect. And that's another thing about showing dogs. You can't criticize a dog that beats you unless you've watched it the entire time. I mean, right. even dogs that you you have you have reasons to not be drawn to can have a super moment they can do something but unless you sit and you watch them you don't know um and it's it's a very subjective sport and it's it's on the moment and it's through the heart and the passion that we all have you know and the hardest part is not to be a negative judge you know you have to look at a dog and reward it for all the good things you know and maybe sometimes you can get really good dogs and you do a specialty i do a lot of specialties and you'll get down to two dogs and I'll, get, I'll do another up and back because I need to see something. But to me, an up and back is usually has very little value other than looking for a fault. You know, you have to work hard to say, well, that one's tracking better and all oh, this one's kind of hocking in a little bit or, or, something, or something will come to you. When you do best in show, it's a sign. You have great dogs, you step back and one of them looks at you and just says, you know, pick me. And, and that's okay. And then I'll tell you as competitors and being in thousands of best in show lineups, we're all happy for whoever wins. I mean, it, it may not be you, but you're happy for the other one because they've got a good dog too. And, and, and I can pretty much say no one ever walks out of best in law saying, oh, that guy screwed it up. I mean, I, can, I, I just know it for a fact. And, and I had an incident once in San Antonio Bernie Esperides is doing best in show. And every great dog was in there. Corky with the Bouvier. Mike Pitts with the great cocker. I mean, it, it just couldn't get any better. And he sends Trist up and back. In, and I did my fancy turn, which, you know, I do fancy shit. And she caught her corner of her nail on the seam of the rug. And the minute she did, she didn't yelp, but I knew it hurt her. And she started to get gimpy. It was, you know, Janie would say she had a hitch in her get along, but this one, I'm telling you, she was not happy with it. And so I, I go around the ring, and I keep her bounding. You know, like in so enthusiastic. I mean, you didn't have to give Twist much to get her crazy. And so I get to the ring, and the others say to me, "One leads over says, Michael, I think she's lame." I said, "I know she's lame. She, she hit the corner of the carpet." And so then the judge takes us around once more individually and I'm bounding around now we're lined up and he walks out with the trophy. And he says, says, ladies and gentlemen, if I ever lived to judge best in show at Westminster, I'd want to line up this good. He says, every one of you are worthy of this win. he says, but I looked and I was looking for a sign. And then one of the top dogs in here, I could see the sweat rolling right off the brow from the handler. That was me, because I'm dying to get out of the yeah. <laughs> ring. And Hound is best in show. And I'm dying. And, and everyone, I could hear the buzz around the thing. So uh, a week and a half later, we go to Ravenna, in the indoors in the IX Center. And it's 110% humidity. It's sticky, hot. And we are inside on that concrete floor. And Paul Edwards is in with his beautiful standard poodle bitch. And her spray is drooping down and she doesn't want to run. He gets to the end of the line. He says, oh, my God, I just want to dig a hole and jump in. He says, she looks awful. Best in show her the standard poodle. I'm over it, you know. <laughs> so, it, it happens. It's well, a dog fired. show. Move on.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's amazing how much that happens. And when you're out there, well, you know as well as I do, they, you think, oh, my God, I'm not winning this. And But they saw something. But in the same vein, I was in a group with Blue Shaw.
1: Del Gladowski was judging. Didn't place. He just placed four dogs. Didn't place. Didn't make a cut. Following That was on Sunday. The following Friday, I went a group at another show, and he's doing best in show. Boom, like this, I go best in show. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> he says, you know, that hound group last week was so tough. He says, I had eight or nine dogs there that I could have given first to. He says, I'm so glad you won the group today. There you go. And then, and, and to, and to flip it, Lee gives Tommy O a best in show with one of his good Siberians. And the next day, she's doing the working group. And she puts this does her thing, puts this Portuguese water dog in front of Tommy. And somebody says to me, Oh, look, if she's gonna scare Tommy. I said, No, no, Lee's not scaring anybody. <laughs> and I said, That dog she says, and she gives us the porty first over the Siberian. And the guy's like stunned. And she, Lee says to him, says, Why do you look so surprised? Well, you gave the Siberian Best in Show yesterday. She looks at him and says, you weren't in there, (laughs) you know? Let judges just judge the dogs, you know, regardless. it's it's, And if you don't like them, you're empowered not to go. And you'll make that judge one of the 79% or or 19% of the ones judging. Don't show the bad judges, you
0: know, and then people won't ask them. Wow. That's great, Michael. Before we go, though, I want you to tell me about that. Painting behind you.
1: This painting is a partial of the famous. Um, I can't remember who did it, but, it, but Cynthia Wood um, donated it to the Santa Barbara Kennel, Well she was she's donated it to the AKC Museum, and it it hangs there. Um, and Carlos de Bango had a or a replicator do it. There's a third Saluki in the back that has kind of a vicious mouth with the, you know open like hunting mouth. And she didn't put that in it, but I got that when Carlos passed. I went on one of my visits to see him, and um, it was all rolled up in a tube, and he said, take this home, and I took it home, and Lee hung it for a while, and now I'm living in Lee's home in Florida, and it stays with me, and it's got a special place. Can you tilt your
0: camera up so we can just see a better view of it? The other
1: way. There we go yeah yeah and it's large i can even tell i mean yeah. it's it's about a four foot painting or something so anyhow, yeah. you yeah. all of us have wonderful dog art and you know the dog sport's been good to all of us you know you can go anywhere in the world and find a common denominator with the same passion and love and it's it's Great, I mean, I've seen you at Crufts. I mean, we go to Crufts and I try to get to as many world shows I've shown at them. And um, I've had the great benefit to have, you know, I have an upcoming Crufts assignment for my breed in oh, 25. Yeah. And I will have judged at every one of the, the shows mm-hmm. you, you dream on your bucket list. And that's, that's a nice testament. And, um, you know, and I'm also f- very supportive of judges who still should exhibit. You know, people ask me all the time, do you mind having a judge show to you? I said, no, those judges are closer to the breed. You know, they need to stay involved. I mean, there's nothing worse than not being involved or owning dogs and
0: things like that. Well, I think it's important too. I was talking about this with a friend of mine. It also puts a perspective in when you're defeated by a certain animal. You, you have a new view of that dog now because you're a judge as well. You're not just having your own personal passion getting in the way and all oh, i got beat by that dog you sit back and you remember like you talked about earlier if i, if I liked your afghan and i watched it for 20 minutes well uh, as a judge you don't get to watch them for 20 minutes right? Mean, you get to watch them for two or two and a half minutes and, and it, i think it puts a new perspective on things
1: and and th- i like your 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 rationale as perspective because it's 100 percent on the money but then there's the also the um Appreciation for a judge that can give a high level award to his own breed and not his own breeding. I mean, there when when I when I see a, a shepherd breeder put up another shepherd for a high level, they know how good that dog is, and 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 maybe they never bred to it, maybe they you know they never owned one from it, but that's a true testament when you can put up your own breed in 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 a, in a competition. Um, because that means more, it's like the same thing. What do you, are your specialty wins more important or are your all breed best in shows more important? I want a dog that can win both. And I had most of them and could and did, you know, and it's kind of sad, this current state of affairs, you know, in 1979, 1983, you needed 93 Afghan hounds for a five point major. You needed 35 for a three point major. Now you need six for a five-point major. I mean, and I dare say probably, and it's probably, a, you a push a button, you can find out, probably 70% of all the breeds being camp, shown now are minimal amount points. You know, I mean, it's, with the exception of some areas with labs and, 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 and Dobermans and maybe Shepherds, um, four dogs is three points everywhere. You know, and hopefully it will, I do think, before we end this, I do think we're having a bit of a renaissance as a judge. And I do almost a hundred shows a year. um, I see more new people showing their own dogs and, um, and that's encouraging because that means, uh, you know, you know, we are a graying sport and people worry about it, but I do think we're there are people out there and, and maybe if it's not, going to make it as a confirmation dog. We have so many other competitions, you know, that the fly ball and the fast cat. And and I love the fact that, you know, I'll put up a borzoi and say, oh, she's the top courser. And, you know, again, that goes back to, well, I can tell because of the muscle and I can tell because of the good construction. And your dogs are having titles on both ends and finding other things to do um you know we've all added the selects and the owner-handled things and keeping them more involved and it's good i think the sport is is in a good place and and hopefully will grow but i agree
0: thank you in unexpected. closing
1: the people that are listening to an interview like this are, are probably more experienced and more involved and have some you know years behind them Those people got to get off their butt and start fighting against these animal rights people. We've sat complacent too long and they have gotten a foot up on us in a big way. And, you know, um, you know, when I see FCI not allowing docking and cropping in every country now, you know, that's a major thing. I mean, those great Doberman breeders in South America, they're going to find another breed. A A good breeder can do it. But we can't let these animal rights people overcome our, you know, we'll become a boutique, you know, industry, you know. Um, but those people, when they hear there's a hearing coming up, write that letter, send that email to your congressman or whoever's trying to stop breeding and banning. You know, it's important. And then if they don't do it, we have nothing, nobody to blame but ourselves. Good
0: point, Michael. Well, this was great. I'm glad. I thank, I'm thankful you gave me this time. I know you're really busy right now, so I'm really happy you put aside this for me because this is this was a great interview, and I really appreciate it.
1: Well, I hope I covered some things. You know, some you can have a part two down the line. Yeah, um, we should. But that was great. That was that was like me going to school. It was excellent. I loved it. So yeah. Well, great. Thanks for thinking and asking me.
0: will see okay. you in a couple of weeks in Orlando. Then all right. Take care. Right. Take care now. See Bye. Night. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Mike. That was incredible. I knew it would be. And I'm glad I could get you to do this for us because uh, it was like going to school myself. It was wonderful. Uh, If you like what you're seeing here, make sure you press the like, share and subscribe button. And don't forget that we have a website, dogshowtips.com. And don't forget the podcast on uh, all your providers, the Dog Show Drive with myself and Wayne Kavanaugh. Until next time, guys, take care.